Welcome to the Book Collector Podcast. I'm James Fleming, and this morning for the Book Collector Podcast, I'm going to read an article about the Garnets. Of all the great literary families in the Western world, the Garnets must surely come near or even at the top of any list, as you'll discover. The article is entitled A Family Affair, The Garnet Family Book Collection, and was written by J. Lawrence Mitchell, director of the Cushing Memorial Library, Texas A&M University. It was published in the spring issue of The Book Collector for 2013. The printed dedication reads, For Richard Garnet at 90. There are many ways to collect, and my collecting over the last 40 years has encompassed a number of these. Single authors of different degrees of obscurity, Rhys Davis, C.E. Montague, and Malachi Whitaker. Publishers, Chateau and Windus, Jonathan Cape. And subjects, boxing, slang, and dialect dictionaries. But collecting families has been my principal passion, and one that has proved infinitely rewarding. My focus has been upon two distinguished English literary families, the Garnet family and the Powys family. In one generation, happily, their two worlds collided when the worldly David Garnet met and befriended the unworldly Theodore Powys. Here I will concentrate upon the Garnets, a multi-generational dynasty of bookish talent almost without parallel. Among their numbers, many roles. Anthologist, artist, bookseller, critic, Dramatist, editor, ghostwriter, librarian, novelist, poet, publisher, reviewer, and translator. As an undergraduate at King's College London in the early 60s, I had met, but never truly collected, a few of Constance Garnet's Chekhov translations in those handy little volumes, some in green cloth and some in maroon, by Chatter and Windus that are now so scarce. The Darling and Other Stories, 1916, was the first of many volumes that appeared under the Chateau imprint after Constance left the penny-pinching Heinemann, who refused to pay her any royalties. Such short-sightedness can only astonish us in light of the fact that her version of War and Peace, 1904, the work by which she most wanted to be judged, earned her only a flat fee of £300. Since Cushing Memorial Library, Texas A&M University acquired the David Garnet family book collection three years ago, Garnet's own copies of her translations, often with her signature on the flyleaf or an inscription, are always within easy reach. The story of the devotion of Constant Garnet, 1861 to 1948, to Russian literature and what D.H. Lawrence and Catherine Mansfield both called her marvellous translations, is well enough known, thanks to Caroline Heilbrunn's sympathetic chapter in The Garnet Family, 1961, and to the definitive biography, Constant Garnet, A Heroic Life, 1991, by Constance's grandson, Richard, that is, Richard Garnet III. Most of the writers she translated are represented in the collection that came to Cushing Library, though some of the volumes, to be sure, have been more roughly read than respected as artefacts. Fortunately, 
Constance's only son, David, thought enough of his mother's work to buy back, after W.H. Hudson's death in 1922, copies of books she or her husband had inscribed to him. In the first volume of Anna Karenin, Heinemann, 1901, David noted in pencil on the flyleaf, bought at Hodgson's sale, square brackets, 14th of July, 1923, end of square brackets, after W.H. Hudson's death. David's father, Edward, who wrote the introduction, as he often did for his wife's translations, had given the book to Hudson in December 1901, with a presentation inscription on the half-title page. Not only did David affix his armorial bookplate to the paste-down when he rescued it, he even dared to correct a couple of points in her translation. Constance's own gift of her translation of War and Peace bore a telling inscription. W. H. Hudson, with affectionate respect from the translator. At least once, charitable motives persuaded David to give away a family copy of a book, A Man in the Zoo, Chateau and Windus, 1924. Below his original inscription to his father, E.G. from D.G., he wrote, This copy which I gave my father, I am glad to give after his death to the Jewish victims of German persecution. David Garnet, April the 3rd, 1938. Understandably, other members of the family have also demonstrated their concern about retaining or regaining family books. Robert Singleton Garnet, 1866 to 1932, the lawyer brother of Edward, who played a significant role in Ford Maddox Heffer's elopement with the 17-year-old Elsie Martindale, gave his copy of his grandfather's philological essays, Williams and Norgate, 1859, to Edward with a note, Keep this book in the family. David would, I think, like to possess it. If so, hand it to him from me. Robert was a raconteur of some merit, whose light-hearted reminiscences occasionally appeared in Blackwood magazine. Eventually, a volume of these pieces appeared under the title Some Book-Hunting Adventures, A Diversion, William Blackwood, 1931, and the proud author sent his nephew a copy in wrappers that reflected his book-collecting instincts. One of six early copies David Garnet, from his affectionate uncle, the author, London, May the 11th, 1931. It made enough of a stir to go into a second impression and to justify odd memories, more book-hunting adventures, William Blackwood, 1932, our copy of which is in a pristine dust jacket. An interest in Russian literature and culture was a thread of continuity in the Garnet family, Constance's grandfather, Peter Black, had been naval architect to Tsar Nicholas, and her father, David Black, grew up in Russia. But her love of things Russian only burgeoned when Edward invited a Russian refugee, Felix Volkovsky, for a weekend, and he gave her a Russian dictionary and a grammar as a distraction from her pregnancy. Soon she was at work translating. Her circle of Russian friends grew and came to include the charismatic Sergei Stepniak, at whose urging she visited Russia in 1894 and again in 1904. 
On this second trip, her son David accompanied her and, in his turn, became enamoured of Russian culture. No doubt, one of the reasons he was attracted to his future wife, Ray, was that she too had visited Russia in 1913 with a Russian art school friend, Kunsevich. The sketches she made there provided inspiration for her illustrations to the Russian folktales translated by Jane Harrison and Hope Murleys in The Book of the Bear, Nonsuch Press, 1926. We have a number of copies in variant bindings, including that of Ray's sister, Frances Partridge, as well as a few trial vignettes from the book, testing various colour combinations. A few years ago, Richard Garnet III compiled a fairly complete record of his mother's trip from her Russian file at Hilton Hall and made copies for distribution among family and friends, a valuable source for future researches that we are now lucky enough to own. Olive Garnet, 1871-1958, Edward's sister, also fell under the spell of Stepniak and travelled to Russia. From her experience came two books, Petersburg Tales, Heinemann 1900, a collection of stories that Conrad admired, and In Russia's Night, Collins 1918, a novel of Russia on the brink of revolution in which Stepniak appears as Pyotr Moromsky. We have Olive's own copy of the novel, Olivia R. Garnet, author's copy, March 1918, in the exceptionally rare, albeit tattered, pictorial dust jacket. On the end papers, she has pasted in three almost architecturally accurate pen and ink drawing of places she visited on her Russian trip that also feature in the novel. One of them is signed O.G. and dated November the 10th, 1896. Although she kept voluminous diaries, she purged them ruthlessly in later years. Nonetheless, the two volumes edited by Barry C. Johnson as Tea and Anarchy, The Bloomsbury Diaries of Olive Garnet, 1890-1893, Bartlett's Press, 1989, and Olive and Stepniak, The Bloomsbury Diary of Olive Garnet, 1893-1895, Bartlett's Press, 1993, offer intriguing first-hand accounts of the social circles in and around the British Museum at the turn of the century, while Olive's father was keeper of printed books. Before the Garnets moved into the official residence there, they lived at 3 St Edmund's Terrace, Primrose Hill, where they were neighbours of William Michael Rossetti, whose daughter Helen and Olive ran the anarchist journal The Torch for five years from the basement of their home. We have a copy of A Girl Among the Anarchists, Duckworth, 1903, the fictionalised account of the two sisters' involvement with anarchism, written under the nom de plume of Isabel Meredith. Ford Maddox-Brown was their other neighbour, in whose home his widowed daughter was raising two sons, one of them the future novelist Ford Maddox-Heffer. So, Olive Garnet was privy to the literary, political and romantic intrigues involving her friends and neighbours. Her anecdotes of the 1890s are certainly more reliable than those of Ford Maddox Ford, as he had become, in Return to Yesterday, 
1931, and elsewhere. After the death of Stepniak, knocked down by a train in 1895 at the age of 44, Olive devoted herself, at a discreet distance, to Henry James. Her copy of Constance Garnett's translation of Turgenev's Fathers and Children, Heinemann, 1895, bears the evidence of its travels. Edward, who wrote the introduction, inscribed it to Henry James on the half-title enigmatically, in gratitude to the author of The Coxon Fund, e.g. It is true that this short story had appeared in a recent July 1894 issue of The Yellow Book, but James had already published 11 novels and many more stories. So why this allusion? Anyway, Olive seems to have bought the book after James's death in 1916 and written her name beneath her brother's note. When the book came into David's possession, he affixed his armorial bookplate, uh, designed by Reynolds Stone, and wrote on the flyleaf, Henry James's copy of Fathers and Children. See inscription on half-title. It was also Olive who transcribed a letter from James to Edward Garnet. 23rd of March 1908, that was prompted by a gift of Edward's ill-fated play The Breaking Point, Duckworth, 1907, and laid it into the book. The first of the museum garnets was the Reverend Richard Garnet, 1789 to 1850. He joined the staff of the British Museum as assistant keeper in the Department of Printed Books in 1838 with an already established reputation for facility in languages. He first attracted the attention of Sir Frederick Madden and others with his article English Lexicography in the Quarterly Review for September 1835. Robert Southey, the Poet Laureate, was in awe of Garnet's command of languages while Garnet was still a curate in Blackburn. I quote, he is now, I believe, acquainted with all the European languages of Latin or Teutonic origin and with sundry Oriental ones, he wrote to a correspondent in 1826. His premature death led Antonio Panizzi, the principal librarian, to hire Garnet's 16-year-old son in 1851. He would eventually metamorphose into Dr. Richard Garnet. 1835 to 1906, who, in his maturity, was looked to throughout the British Empire, in Europe and the United States, as a source of information and assistance for any literary project. His best-known book is probably The Twilight of the Gods and Other Tales, T. Fisher Unwin, 1888, and Cushing Library possesses a copy inscribed Arthur Garnet from his father, the author and with David Garnett's later signature of ownership. We also have, among other holdings, his rare first book of poems, Primula, Robert Hardwick, 1858, with manuscript notations of the month and year of composition and the ownership signature of his daughter Olive, that is, Olivia R. Garnett. He was promoted in 1875 to superintendent of the reading room, where his reputation for having read everything became firmly established. His next assignment was to take charge of the development of the first printed catalogue, a massive undertaking not finished until 1900. His one eccentricity 
was a devotion to astrology. His contribution to that field, The Soul and the Stars, was wisely published under the pseudonym A.G. Trent, transparently an anagram of his name. Yet it has had a remarkable life. It first appeared in 1880, was reprinted as a pamphlet in 1893, appended to a treatise of Natal Astrology, 1894, and reprinted again in 1933. Cushing can claim copies of the last three, including a copy from the library of Rafe Crown of Hollywood, President Reagan's personal astrologer. When Dr. Garnet, courtesy of an honorary degree from Edinburgh University, decided to retire in 1899, his colleagues subscribed for a suitable parting gift. 300 notable books added to the library of the British Museum under the keepership of Richard Garnet, 1890, to 1899. His copy came in a signed green Morocco binding by T.J. Cobden Sanderson from the Dove's Bindery. The ordinary edition in red cloth was bound by Zainsdorf and was embellished with Garnet's monogram by Lawrence Hausman. We have both these versions. Edward Garnet, 1868 to 1937, Dr. Richard Garnet's son, seems to have been an unambitious, even feckless young man, until Constance Black, six years his senior, took him in hand. Despite his insouciance about cultivating regular work habits, he impressed Fisher Unwin sufficiently to be appointed reader for the firm at the age of 20. There, among other accomplishments, he launched the successful pseudonym library, the cameo series, and the mermaid series. Subsequently, he became reader for Heinemann, Duckworth, where he wrote an enthusiastic report on Virginia Woolf's The Voyage Out, 1915, and helped D. H. Lawrence transform Paul Morell into Sons and Lovers, and Jonathan Cape. On the evidence of one curiosity, he may have toyed with the idea of setting up as a publisher in his own name, for in 1889 he produced the Beggar and Other Fantasies by Grace Black, his sister-in-law, under the imprint of Edward Garnet, Henhurst Cross. H. E. Bates speculates that the publisher's elaborate logo, with a quotation from The Winter's Tale, was actually Edward's bookplate designed by Fort Maddox Brown. Each of the three copies in Cushing Library is different. One, in a special binding, is proudly inscribed R. Garnet from his son, the publisher, March 1889. His own first ventures as a writer, The Paradox Club, T. Fisher Unwin, 1888, and Light and Shadow, T. Fisher Unwin, 1889, persuaded critics merely of his intelligence, not of his gifts as a novelist, and he turned his attention to drama and occasional essays. But the public, or at least the censor, wasn't quite ready for the uncompromisingly frank treatment of human relations represented by, for example, the breaking point in which a married man gets a young woman pregnant, its rejection by the Lord Chamberlain for the Haymarket Theatre, and subsequent publication led to an anti-censorship campaign to which many distinguished writers rallied, albeit without immediate effect. In spite of his somewhat formidable appearance, and because of his generous nature and real talent as a critic, 
Edward would become the friend and literary advisor to both budding and established writers. Among those he nurtured, some of them even his discoveries, were H. E. Bates, Joseph Conrad, John Galsworthy, W. H. Hudson, D. H. Lawrence, T. E. Lawrence, Henry Lawson and Edward Thomas. Their affection for and gratitude to Edward were often recorded in the inscriptions for him, and some of these association copies have come to Cushing Library, either as part of the family collection or by separate purchase. These and the many books similarly inscribed by their authors to other members of the family constitute an important record of the influence of the Garnet family, especially in the first half of the 20th century. The David Garnet family books collection became available when David's son, Richard Garnet III, decided it was time to move out of Hilton Hall, the house near Huntingdon that his parents had bought in 1924, and, necessarily, to dispose of the bulk of the books therein. Though he sent me a copy of the sale catalogue more as a memento than as an invitation, I at once determined that Cushing, our special collections library, ought to be the final home of the collection. This was a unique opportunity to complement and vastly enrich the Garnet collection I had been building for many years and had recently donated to Cushing Library. Richard Garnet III has borne the burden of being de facto custodian and curator of the entire Garnet family archive for many years, and well before the death of his father in 1981. After service in the RAF and three years at King's College, Cambridge, he began his own career in publishing in 1949 by joining Rupert Hart Davis Limited, being elevated to the board in 1957. He remained with the firm for some 20 years until it was taken over by Granada in 1963 and then spent another 20 years with Macmillan. His final responsibility there, before retiring, was to see the New Grove Dictionary of Music and Musicians, 1980, through the press. He has written three highly readable children's books. They would probably be labelled Young Adult in the United States. The Silver Kingdom, Rupert Hart Davis, 1956, with illustrations by Jane Dickens about sunken treasure off the coast of Cornwall. The White Dragon, Rupert Hart Davis, 1963, set in the Fenlands of East Anglia. And Jack of Dover, Rupert Hart Davis, 1966. Richard also has a talent for ditties and doggerel, to which members of the Double Crown Club can attest. In retirement, he has written the fine biography of his grandmother, already mentioned, Constance Garnet, A Heroic Life, Sinclair Stevenson, 1991, and edited Sylvia and David, The Townsend Warner Garnet Letters, Sinclair Stevenson, 1994. More recently, he has written an extensive account of Rupert Hart Davis, whose first logo by Reynolds Stone was, fittingly, a fox, in The Book Collector. Autumn, Winter, 2001, Spring, 2002. The recent sale of Garnettiana was by no means the first dispersal of material from the Garnet estate. In his lifetime in 1971, David Garnet had sold a substantial portion of family correspondence through Hamelin Barker in Chicago to Northwestern University Library. In 2008, he sold the library a further tranche through Bernard Quaritch. 
more than 20 years earlier, through Hamel and Barker, he had sold a series of letters to his father from Sylvia Townsend Warner to the Berg Collection at the New York Public Library. And letters from Mina Kirstein Curtis also went to the Berg, where David's letters to her already rested. Michael Hosking's 3,407-item catalogue, David Garnet CBE, a writer's library, issued in 1983, precipitated by David's death two years earlier, was brimful of fine books by family members. Yet for many would-be buyers, it seems to have been the association copies that attracted major attention and an unseemly scramble. When friends and acquaintances include writers of the calibre of Joseph Conrad, Edward Thomas, D.H. Lawrence and Virginia Woolf, just a few of the luminaries featured in Great Friends, Macmillan, 1979, David Garnett's valedictory compendium, such a response is understandable. My own copy of the catalogue, sent with compliments of Richard Garnett III, arrived in time for me to garner many of the items I could afford, including a few inscribed copies and numerous translations of Lady into Fox and A Man in the Zoo. Czech, Danish, Estonian, French, German, Japanese, Portuguese, Swedish, etc. Some versions used the original woodcuts by Ray Garnet, David's wife, and some created their own version of La Signora Transformata and Meine Frau di Fuschin. Now, Cushing Library has available the raw material for students to compare both translations and artistic renditions of the same work. And they can also assess the sometimes markedly different use of Ray Garnet's illustrations in English language editions. Each of the American, Canadian and English dust jackets of a man in the zoo, for example, displays a different wood engraving. And many of these translations are quite scarce. The Danish version of a man in the zoo, Manden i Abebjörit, 1929, is only located by WorldCat in the Danish Union catalogue and at Texas A&M University. Ray Garnet, 1891-1940, was one of Noel Rook's gifted students at the London County Council Central School of Arts and Crafts, and her illustrative work predates her marriage to David Garnet. We own two copies of a scarce little book entitled The Happy Testament, by Charles Lounsbury, Chateau and Windus, 1913, with her enchanting illustrations and the only institutional copy of her apprentice piece, Archibald, LCC, Central School of Arts and Crafts, 1915, both issued under her maiden name, Rachel Marshall. Then, in 1917, for Chateau and Windus, she wrote and illustrated A Ride on a Rocking Horse, it was reissued in 1926 under her married name, taking advantage of the success of the wood engravings she had done for her husband's three early novels. There were other commissions from the same publisher. A good deal of work for T.F. Powys's distinctive novels, notably Black Briony, 1923, and title page vignettes for Sylvia Townsend Warner and H.E. Bates. David Garnet, 1892, to 1981, Bunny to Friends and Family, is perhaps best characterised by that old-fashioned term, man of letters, in that he was a literary jack of all trades. His first appearance in print came at the age of 12 
with a frontispiece map for a new edition of Richard Jeffrey's Bevis, The Story of a Boy, Samson Lowe, 1882. And as he notes in his copy of the attractive 1904 edition in pictorial boards, the map in this edition is the first paid literary work that I did. Gerald Duckworth sent me a postal order for five shillings. Jeffreys was a family favourite with the Garnets. Arthur, Edward and Robert all seemed to have read and passed his book around, from the amateur poacher, 1879, to his last collection of essays, Field and Hedgerow, 1895. And of course, much later, David named one of his daughters Amaryllis, after Amaryllis of the Fair, 1887. David's two earliest books are extremely hard to find. The Kitchen Garden and Its Management, Selwyn and Blunt, 1919, is a modest booklet, 16mo, in green wrappers, published at one shilling and sixpence. It was an abridgment of Professor Vincent Alfred Gressens, Le Potager Moderne, Traité complet de la culture des légumes appropriés au jardin du propriétaire, 1863, with additions by David Garnett. These additions were in fact quite substantial and stemmed from his own experience. His failure to provide bibliographical information prompted an indignant note to the publisher from the Reverend J. Clare Hudson, vicar of Thornton, near Horncastle, demanding details as a majority of folk have no knowledge of Professor Gresson's book. He added a P.S. What one has read of Mr. David Garnett's abridgment is excellent and invaluable. Inadvertently, Mr. Hudson also aided future scholars by dating his note. 31 May 1919. And thus we know that the undated booklet was certainly published by May 1919. Garnet seems to have used the 1895 edition of Gressant that came to Cushing among the family books, as did his own copy of the abridgment and Hudson's note, now invaluable too. Interestingly, Ford Maddox Ford claims to have studied agriculture, or rather kitchen gardening, at the Sorbonne under the great Professor Gressant. So it is just possible that Heffer, as he was until 1919, conveyed his enthusiasm to Garnet, or even suggested an English version. But Garnet, who had some two years of farming experience in Suffolk and Sussex by way of service as a conscientious objector during the First World War, may well have discovered Gresson's book for himself. Though Dope Darling, A Story of Cocaine, T. Werner Laurie, 1919, is usually dismissed as a potboiler, it is not without interest bibliographical and biographical. Despite a print run of 1500, the book is of legendary scarcity. A few years ago, a copy in the flimsy pictorial wrappers was offered in a catalogue by a California dealer at more than $20,000 and described as the black tulip of drug literature. At the last-minute insistence of his father, Garnet published the book under the pseudonym Leader Burke, the original of the wide-eyed young woman on the cover was Betty May, who later achieved notoriety with the publication of Tiger Woman, 1929, in which she blamed Alistair Crowley for the death of her husband and with whom Garnet had been briefly involved. Cushing Library now owns both Garnet's own copy and the uncorrected proof in a signed calf binding by Best & Co., 
with his handwritten account of the work's genesis on the flyleaf. This is, I believe, the only copy of this book bearing my name on the title page. It was conceived and worked out one evening at the CERN, square brackets, his parents' home, end of square brackets, and written in the following fortnight at Charleston. Just recently, we also acquired at auction a manuscript volume of poems David Garnett sent Duncan Grant in 1915, and one of them is entitled Betty May. David Garnett's first real literary success was his novella Lady into Fox, Chatter and Windus, 1922, which was illustrated with wood engravings by his wife Ray. It achieved an unprecedented double, winning both the James Tate Black and the Hawthornden Prizes for 1923 and enjoying phenomenal sales in Britain and the United States, and Ray's illustrations were an integral part of its success. Soon it was being translated into most Western European languages, some Eastern Bloc ones, Czech, Estonian, Hungarian, Polish, Romanian, and Russian, and Japanese. We now own copies of all these translations, supplementing those purchased from Michael Hoskins' 1983 catalogue. The success of both Lady into Fox and A Man in the Zoo had an unexpected effect upon the physical presentation of Alfred Knopf's editions. In the 1920s, Knopf favoured attractive paper-covered boards for some of his books, among them Garnet's, but did not have a sufficient stock of any one pattern to maintain throughout the cycle of publication and republication for a bestseller. Thus, Garnet's books, both first and later printings, can be found dressed in a variety of patterns. We have four different ones for a man in the zoo alone. One American acquaintance, Christopher Ward, who met Garnet through Mina Kirstein and Henrietta Bingham, to whom A Man in the Zoo is dedicated, was given a signed copy of Lady into Fox and reciprocated by writing an inspired parody entitled Gentleman into Goose that includes a parodic version of Ray Garnet's frontispiece. Though the book is undated, there is an autograph letter signed 7th of May 1924 from Ward in the copy he sent to Garnet inscribed to the only begetter. This Jeu d'Esprit was published by T. Werner Laurie in England and by Henry Holt from English Sheets in the United States. Early in 1920, David Garnett tried a new career as a bookseller in partnership with his close friend Francis Frankie Birrell, under the name Birrell and Garnett. Despite the fact that they were, quote, wildly unsuited to running any kind of business, as Garnett admits, they prospered modestly, thanks in part to their beneficent circle of Bloomsbury friends. Their stock included both antiquarian and new books, and Duncan Grant drew the cover for their early catalogues, now scarce and collectible. In light of his growing success as a writer, Garnet sold his shares in the business to Graham Pollard in 1924. One byproduct of his experience was Never Be a Bookseller, 1929, a promotional pamphlet he wrote for Alfred Knopf that succinctly charts the role of four generations of Garnets in the world of books. Cushing Library can now claim more than half a dozen copies in varying wrappers, including those of Garnet himself, Frederick Prokosch, and Vincent Starrett. Garnet moved into publishing when he became a founding partner with Francis Menel in the Nonsuch Press and, after the Second World War, launched with Rupert Hart Davis, the trade publisher Rupert Hart Davis. 
Angelica Garnet, 1918 to 2012, David's second wife, the daughter of Vanessa Bell and Duncan Grant, was also a talented artist and illustrator and provided the dust jacket designs for her husband's Aspects of Love, Chatter and Windus, 1955, later made into a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and A Net for Venus, 1959, as well as for her brother-in-law, Williams, Morals from the Beastly World, Rupert Hart Davis, 1958. Perhaps her best book illustrations were done for the series of diaries Ray Garnett's sister, Frances Partridge, 1900 to 2004, began publishing in 1978 with A Pacifist's War. Nerissa, the daughter of Angelica and David, collaborated with her father on The Master Cat, Macmillan, 1974, producing a delightful series of pen and ink headpieces for this retelling of Puss in Boots. She hand-coloured a copy for her father and, encased in a special binding from the publisher, it is now a prized item in the Cushing Library collection. Because succeeding generations of the Garnet family have been so intimately involved in editing, publishing and writing books, Cushing Library has frequently drawn upon their accomplishments in our annual Book History Workshop. Edward's experience as a publisher's reader for Fisher Unwin, Duckworth and Jonathan Cape and his literary discoveries have much to offer the book historian. The early non-such press books with their elegant designs, often the work of David Garnett's founding partner, Francis Mennell, and their boldly diverse bindings provide an instructive contrast with the more idiosyncratic and fragile productions of the Hogarth Press. We have also added some fine draft sketches by Ray Garnett for books she illustrated, including David's No Love, Chatter and Windus, 1929, at our annual May workshop two years ago, I offered an overview of the collective Garnet activities under the title The Garnet Family and the World of Books to an appreciative group that had scant knowledge of the sheer scope of their contributions. Currently, we have an undergraduate intern, Laurie Elder, working to identify details of all the variants in the collection bindings, dust jackets, end papers, illustrations, inscriptions, etc as a first step towards a comprehensive bibliography. And because we are fortunate enough to have multiple copies of many of the Garnet family books, we are all learning to appreciate how true it is that there is no such thing as a duplicate. That was a family affair, the Garnet family book collection, a book collector podcast read by James Fleming. Whether you're researching, learning, or just browsing for fun, visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.